Welcome to Sunday Sermons. This is Jerry Webb. Today we continue our conversation around Journey of the Soul, a book by the Galtiers, Bill and Christy Galtier. They've developed an interesting model that helps us be able to identify where we are in our walk with Christ. Uh, We'll review a little bit today the C stage, confidence in Christ, but really what I want you to think about today is help in discipleship. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any old friends? No, not not people. Old friends. Old friends from the Bible. Verses that you've memorized that sustain you. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, and I'm glad you're here. So, here we go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a wealthy chief tax collector and wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the other people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be, with the, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. If you have your own personal Bible here today, I would encourage you just to circle the word seek and then circle the word save. He's come to seek and to save the lost. You're all familiar with my practice of picking a word each year that kind of gives me some direction and hope and helps me to think through where the Lord would like me to to head in the year ahead. It's a word that I assume and count on that the Lord has given me because it comes out of prayer and asking. A couple of years ago, actually 2019, the word was seek. And this was one of the verses that was always before me that year. Zeteo, seek. Zeteo. It's to seek in order to find, to seek a thing, to seek after, to seek for, to aim at, to strive after. And as we think about this idea of seek, it it depends on which verse in the Bible you read and which direction you want to take that. When we read it here in Luke 19, it's for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came looking for us. He wants relationship with us. But there are other places where we read it, and it talks about how we're to seek him. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. You all know Matthew 6, 33, even if you couldn't tell me where to find it, you've heard this verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. You know it because we sing it. <laughs> you know it because you've heard it over and over. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, we'll look at again in a minute, but uh, you know it too. It says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then this Luke 19 passage, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you were to do a Google search this morning for life's purpose, just that little phrase, life purpose, it would yield over 700 million results. I think people are interested in figuring out life purpose, don't you? Amazon lists 151,000, probably by now more than that, uh, books to help people learn their life purpose. I looked again to see how many times uh, one of my favorite TED Talks has been viewed. It's uh, a talk by Adam Leipzig. The title of it is, How to Know Your Life Purpose in Five Minutes. It's been view, it viewed uh, since it first was posted on February 1st, 2013. It's been viewed over 16 million times. People are interested in figuring out life's purpose. Zacchaeus' life purpose changed in a day. It changed the day he invited Jesus. Actually, Jesus invited himself but he welcomed Jesus into his home. And we can't say what Zacchaeus would have said about his life purpose before that day. We don't know for sure what he would have said. He might have said it's to become wealthy because we know that he was. Or he might have said to assist the Roman government in their mission. Or he might have said it's to help people stay out of trouble with the Romans by keeping their tax payments current. I'm doubting that one, but maybe that's what he would have said. But after meeting Jesus, he was clear. His purpose was to live a life of generosity and justice. Justice in that, he said, I'm going to give back multiple times over everything that I have overcharged others. And... With that, there is that sense of a generous spirit that welled up within him as he was changed by Jesus. He would help the poor by sharing his wealth, and he, he would pay restitution to the people he had cheated through his work as a tax collector. He, he'd figured out his purpose in a moment's notice. Note, though, that he was not the only one in the story who knew his purpose. Verse 10, Jesus, 
the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The message paraphrase says, for the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Jesus came for the lost. It was his life's purpose. Now, we don't like to think we're lost if we haven't met Jesus, but Jesus makes it clear that we are. We're lost in the sense that we don't have a right relationship with God. And, and Jesus spent three years going around the countryside of, of Jerusalem and Galilee and, and that part of the world, helping people to fi- be found from their lostness. There was, was his band of disciples that followed him. There was this man, Zacchaeus, who he found in the sycamore tree and said, come down, I'm going to your house. There was a woman at the well. There was a woman caught in adultery. There were blind people who were healed. There were lepers who were cleansed. At the very center of his strategy was the development of a core of people who would carry on his life-saving message. People who were once lost, but when they met him, they became found. He came for the lost. And as he gathered those people together to carry on his life-saving message, we eventually came to call those people the church. You and me. The ones who have been found and and called to carry on his life-saving purpose. So keep that in mind for a moment, and then let's, let's think about another thing. I remembered my maps this week. What if we had a map that would take us from the place where we are to the place where we want to go? Uh, I, I love, I've, I told you last week, I've grown up looking, studying maps. I love looking at this map, and I, it's so old it's out of date. I don't even know if you can buy these anymore. I assume you can, but I don't really know. Don and Judy say yes because they love being on the road. They know. <laughs> a Rand McNally Road Atlas. Linda and I have had this one for a while, you can tell. It's kind of beat up a little bit. We've got another one someplace that the cover's gone and pages are torn out, and maybe, maybe it got thrown away because it was so lost. <laughs> but these maps... Take us where we want to go. I can open this up, and I can come just about anywhere I want to go. And again, this one's old, so it's not going to have all the roads. 1995, this one was. Only cost me $3.96 at Walmart. You can't buy them for that anymore. But what if we had a map? Not just a map that tells us how to relate to God. The Bible is that map for us. But how about a map that would help us understand where we are in relationship to Jesus Christ? That's what our study of Journey of the Soul is about. It's to figure out this map to help us decide where we are today with Jesus and figure out what do I need to do next to grow in my relationship with him? So look at this diagram, this circle. 
And again, it's a little small. I don't know how well you can read it. It depends on your eyes. I can read it fine from here, but I'm sure I couldn't read it from the last row. So it depends on your eyes. But this, this map that helps us identify where we are with Christ. The beginning place is at the top of the, of the circle. It's the sea. Confidence in Christ. It's the sea stage, as Bill and his wife, Bill, the Gaultiers, uh, talk about and develop this diagram for us. And uh, it makes an acrostic, the word of Christ. And today I want to talk briefly about confidence in Christ, and then the next one down the, cel- the circle is help and discipleship. But the C stage is the first stage of faith, this confidence in Christ. If we're, we're to use a symbol for that, instead of just writing out the words, we would use a picture of the church. Even though we know the church is not a building, it's the easiest way for us to, to make a symbol that identifies what we're talking about. The church is a, is a people who follow Jesus. But it's this symbol of, of coming to faith in Christ. And it is in this C stage where we receive God's forgiveness and new life through Jesus. It's the truth of Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, ask, seek, knock. See, the beginning place of seeking Jesus The beginning place of finding our confidence in Christ is to sit at his feet. It's to begin with him. It begins with an idea, a thought. The idea is that we can have a closer relationship with God than we've had in the past, but but there's more. We can ask, and as we ask, we're coming to this question of, Lord, What action do I need to take in order to grow closer to you? And of course, the first action we need to take is to invite him in our life as as our Savior. To ask him to forgive our sins and set us aright with him. And so we make that ask, but that's not the only ask we make. Because he invites us to ask. All the time he invites us to ask. But, But at the center of that, the asking is not so much about us getting all the things we would like and having a God who is our carnival vendor giving us everything we want. The God who invites us to ask is the God who wants us to ask, how do I move closer to you? How do I get my life right with you? What action do I need to take in order to grow closer to you? For us as a community this week, one of the encouragements was, as I mentioned earlier, to, to take the Lord's Prayer, and, or, or I mean Psalm 23, and, and use it as a prayer each day this week. And let it be our prayer. It was an action that could help move us closer to God. 
but we're also to seek. To seek wisdom about spiritual growth. We can find that in a lot of places, and of course we find it in the Bible, and we're going to spend a lot of time in a moment talking about the Bible and why it's important to us and how to use it to seek God. But it's not the only place we, we find this help we need in discipleship. What are your spiritual mentors doing to grow closer to God? That's a great question to ask. Who are the people you look to that kind of help you understand what it means to continue to walk more closely with God? You have some. You might not call them spiritual mentors. But there are people in your life, whether you've even told them that this is true or not, but people that you just kind of watch because you, you like how they live their faith. They set an example for you. And you look to them. And so as you're looking to them, you're looking to see what is it they're doing? How do they stay so close to Jesus? And is there something in that that I can learn from them and begin to incorporate into my own life? What are they doing so that I can walk more closely with God? Where are they going? What are they doing that you aren't doing that can help you seek wisdom about spiritual growth? And you might discover all kinds of things that that they're doing that maybe you've never thought about before. But they're things that can help you move closer to Jesus. And then he says to knock. Ask, seek, knock. Knocking implies there's a door, there's a barrier. There's something between us that, that needs to be opened in order to grow closer to God. And so what's in the way? What in your life is in the way of you growing closer to God? Is there a thought you need to change? Is there a sin that you need to confess? Is there a relationship that you need to end? Is there a habit that you need to break? What in your life do you need opened, removed, a barrier taken out of its place so that you can move, move closer to God. And again, the answer to that would be different for every one of us in the room. And it might be that some of us would say, I'm not aware of any barrier today. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> but there might be one there tomorrow. Be vigilant. Keep looking. See, it's in this C stage, this Christ stage, that we, we first come to Christ, and as the Galtiers talk about it in their book, Journey of the Soul, they, they point out something that's true for us when we first begin our walk with Christ. It's, it's kind of like we start a battle. We have this battle between, between two kingdoms. We want to live in this new kingdom, this kingdom of God, or the Bible sometimes calls it the kingdom of light. We want our life there. But we also find that there's a battle for our heart, and, and that battle is with, with a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of evil. And sometimes when we're first coming to Christ, we get torn between those two worlds. 
And we find ourselves moving back and forth, even if we don't want to. We, we want to live in this kingdom of light. We've made that commitment, but because that way of living is new for us, we sometimes find ourselves struggling with those old leftovers, the residual of that kingdom of darkness that used to be a part of who we are, and, and we find our foot back there. That's not unusual. And so when we find ourselves struggling in that, we, we shouldn't beat ourselves up because when we're first finding out how to live with Christ, we're developing the things in our life that'll help keep us out of that kingdom of darkness. It's not unusual. What's unusual is if we've been a Christian for a while, the unusual thing then would be that we're still struggling between these two kingdoms. We're still trying to walk with our foot in both worlds. We should be able to come to the the stage where in this help and discipleship we find ourselves able to continue to live in a yes position toward God and we don't go back into that old kingdom, that kingdom of darkness and evil. That doesn't mean it doesn't try to approach us and draw us back in. It does. Evil always seeks us, just like God always seeks us. But as we live with Christ and, and we develop the disciplines of the Christian life, and really put them into practice in our life, that old kingdom loses its power. And we're able more and more and more and more to say, yes, I'm living over here. And there'll come a time, there'll come a place where that old kingdom just no longer has appeal to you. But if we're not there yet, we need to keep growing. You need to keep growing all the time. But you need to keep growing and working in that H stage of help and discipleship. It's about asking, seeking, and knocking and those questions that I gave you there that, that help us to move past this struggle between two worlds. So what do we do in the C stage? What are the spiritual disciplines that we need to begin developing? Well, most of you have probably already done all of these. But it's, it's begin attending church. We, we need the church family. We just need it. We've learned that in the last year. Those weeks of not meeting together were hard on us. <laughs> they were challenging because we want to, to be with people who are like-minded, who help us, who encourage us. We need each other. It's reading the Bible. We'll talk about that more in a minute. It's beginning to notice God as he's, work, he's as he is at work around us. It's praying. And those things move us to the H stage, the help and discipleship stage. If we were to use a symbol for this stage, the symbol would be the Bible. It would be the Bible because it's through the Bible that we learn about Jesus and how to follow him. It's in this book. It's in this collection of wisdom. It's the truth that Paul taught to his young disciple Timothy when he said, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
And so to grow as a Jesus follower, again, the Galtiers in their book, Journey of the Soul, remind us that we need to apprentice ourselves to Jesus, to the master teacher. And we spend time with him, relating and working to, to learn how to live our life as if Jesus, as Jesus would, if he were here with us. And we learn to do that through the spiritual disciplines that, that help us in our discipleship. It's participating in those small groups and classes, being in Sunday school, being a part of a neighborhood Bible study, being in classes at, at, at a church or on, online these days where we can study particular parts of the Christian faith and we can grow in it. It's meeting with a spiritual teacher to be discipled. It's practicing daily devotions in Scripture. It's memorizing Bible verses. But it really, helping discipleship, really comes out of the study and the mastery of the Bible. Mastering the Bible should be a goal for each one of us who follow Jesus. It shouldn't be just a book that sits on the shelf and gathers dust. Or an app in our phone that never gets used. But we need to master it. A man's uncle read the Bible for two and a half hours every day. Set it as a goal. He wanted to read it from cover to cover as many times as he could before he died. And so he set aside two and a half hours every day. At the time of his death, when uh, the, the nephew looked at his uncle Bible and counted the tally marks that uncle had put in there, uncle had read through that book 144 times. That's impressive. Really impressive. But then the nephew reported, my uncle died the meanest, bitterest son of a gun you'd ever meet. So you see, it takes more than just reading it. <laughs> it, it it's not just about reading it. It's reading it so that we can live it. It's reading it so that we can put it into our life that we can make friends with the Bible and it begins to shape us into the image of Christ. When a young man left for college, he was going to attend Duke University, one of the great schools in our country. His parents gave him a Bible and they assured him that it would be a great help and they encouraged him to read it every day. Later, as he began sending them letters and emails, he began asking for money. And every time that he would ask for money, they would send back a note that said, uh, read this chapter in this verse. And they never sent money. And it happened over and over again that he, he would say, I, I need some money. And they would say, read this chapter in this verse. Well, when he came home on a break, finally, they began talking about his Bible. And they looked at him and said, son, we know you haven't been reading your Bible. I know you're telling us you are, but, but you haven't. You haven't read the verses that we've sent to you. You know why we know? Because you keep asking for money. And in every one of those places where we said, go read this chapter in this verse, there was a, a bill hidden in there, a 10 or a 20. 
If you'd have read those verses, you wouldn't have been asking us for money because we'd already given it to you. You just had to find it. God's given us everything we need for life. It's in the Bible. We just have to find it, make friends with it, put it to use in our life. We need to become friends with the Bible. Earlier this year, and I don't have a note of what prompted me to begin thinking about this, but something I read, even something I said, I think this came out as I was just talking with someone. I made the comment about we need to have some old friends in the Bible. Some old friends, some verses that that are so ingrained in us that we can call on them. We know them. They're a part of us. And we can call on them when we need them. We need these old friends. How do you make old friends in the Bible? Well, you you start with new friends. (laughs) You you start taking a verse and, and getting it deep down in your soul and in your mind and in your heart. You develop some old friends by making new friends. You begin to memorize the Bible. Now, I started listing all of my old friends in the Bible, verses that across the years I've memorized, many of which I can still quote word for word from whatever translation I memorized it from. Some of them I can't quote word for word anymore because I haven't reviewed them enough and kept them fresh. But these little verses come to my mind. They're my old friends. And how'd I do that? How'd I put them in my heart? Well, when when I first started doing it, I'm sure I was a little kid in Sunday school and my Sunday school teachers were encouraging me to do that. I I remember becoming friends with the Bible in Sunday school, uh, especially about my mid to late elementary school years. I don't remember exactly which year it was, but I remember it was in the basement of the old church, part of the church. Down in, uh, in the basement with, that walked out, and Linda has seen the building. She's going to know what I'm talking about. There's, there was a bowl of land that you could walk out of the lower level into this bowl and the kids could play. And my Sunday school classroom was right off of that. And every Sunday morning, I sat next to my best Sunday school friend. His name was Kenny. And for a period of time, I don't know if it was a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I don't know how long it was, I don't remember that part, but I remember that when the teacher would begin Sunday school, she would begin by reading a passage of scripture to us, and she would do what I do with you, I encourage you to open the Bible, and we would all open our Bibles and and read that with her. And somehow, Kenny and I got into a competition. And and instead of just reading the one or two or three verses that she wanted us to read, when that was finished, she would start her lesson. We would keep reading. And we would sit there not paying a bit of attention to her. I don't know why she let us get away with this, but she did. And we would just keep reading, and we made it a race to see how far we could read by the end of Sunday school time (laughs) and see who got the farthest. But doing that 
got the Bible into me. I look back on it now and I think, and I wish I could remember who my Sunday school teacher was. I, I don't remember who it was in this class. But I look back on it now and I think she was pretty wise. She obviously saw what we were doing. And most teachers, me included, would have said, hey, pay attention. <laughs> and she just let us go because we were reading the Bible. And in reading the Bible, we were doing what the psalmist said. We were hiding it in our hearts. That's what we need to do. We need to hide the Bible in our hearts. Well, there came a point in my journey of discipleship that uh, I found these little verses in a packet, and they were a part of a discipleship course that Linda and I used and taught to people for a long time. And a part of the course was to memorize verses. And we began with five little verses, and they would give us cards and give us this little folder to put in our pocket or our purse and carry with us. And these are not the original cards because when, when I started using this, I would put it in my shirt pocket, and it probably got washed like 170 times, and I would have to make myself a new set of cards. And, and put in here. But the first part of it was, were five verses that I memorized, and, and I can quote or come close to quoting them, and I imagine Linda could too, though I haven't tested her on it. But five verses. First one we called the assurance of salvation, 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have and then there's the assurance of answered prayer from John 16, 24. Until now you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And then there's the assurance of victory. I should have Tammy stand up and, and tell us this one. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And the assurance of forgiveness in 1 John 1, 9, if, you, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the assurance of guidance in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a lot of you can stand up and quote this one. Trust in the Lord in all, with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. These are old friends for me. They're things I've hidden in my heart that help me in my walk with Christ, and, and I have a lot more of them. These days, uh, I use them on these, I laminate them on business cards. And I've given some of these to you in the past, and I've put a couple of these, uh, not laminated, just the business card ones, out there for you to pick up today. There are two verses that every person who calls Hope Crossing their home should have memorized. They're the two verses that, that help us identify our name, Hope Crossing. It's... Romans 15, 13, that I quote to you almost every Sunday morning. It's John 5, 24. The first one is about hope. The second one is about making the crossing to eternal life. 
We all should have those memorized because they're how we can describe our church. When somebody asks us about, well, tell me about your church, about Hope Crossing, well, you can say, well, it's, it's about these two verses. It's about Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to help people have hope. And then it's John 5, 24. Very truly, I tell you, he who believes in me, oh, I, I got to work on this. Whoever hears my word and believes in me has eternal life. <laughs> I, I've got to review this one. Sorry. I'm still working on it with you if you don't have it memorized. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. We want to help people have hope. I got to memorize that one. That one goes in the pocket so I can get it down a little better. It takes a while. How about John 13, 34, and 35? New command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so that you may love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Or 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow Christ. All of these great verses that teach us and keep us with Christ. Oh, they're old friends. Do you have old friends? Old scripture verse friends that help you? Now I know what some of you are thinking. I'm, I'm there with you. You're saying, you know, I just can't memorize anymore. And I would say, Lovingly, I'm your friend. Don't make excuses. Just keep working on it. You heard me, I fumbled over John 5, 24. I still got to master that one. But I'm going to keep working on it until I get it. Doesn't come as fast as it did when I was 32, I can tell you that. But I can still do it. And if you can't get it word perfect, just put it in a card and carry it around with you so you can pull it out. But make the Bible your friend. Make it your friend. If you really want to grow closer to Christ, then you have to remove the barrier of not knowing the Bible. Obviously, you don't have to know everything about the Bible. I don't know everything about the Bible, and I've been studying it my whole life. But you have to become familiar enough with it that it makes sense to you. And you have to find some of these old friends. Friends like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone boast. The old friend of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Or Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
and on and on we could go. Some of you are quoting these with me as I say them. I see your lips moving. Old friends. What are your old friends? Make some. And if you have a bunch of them, review them so you don't forget them like I did with John 5.24. <laughs> and then keep exploring the Bible because you'll, you'll find new friends that will eventually become old friends. Making the Bible our friend results in becoming friends with God. Because we learn his heart. We find his spirit. We live in his wisdom. Zacchaeus had an instant change of life when he invited and accepted the invitation of Jesus to come to his house. He had a desire that instantly came upon him to, to live a just life, and to do that meant he had to make some restitution with some things. But he was instantly changed. He had a desire to put things in order, a desire to live a just life, to live a generous life. He was seeking God while God was seeking him. And in the same way, we're here this morning seeking more of God. But God got here before us. And he's seeking us. Zateo. That's my blessing to you today. Zateo. Seek. Seek him in order to find him. One last old friend. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Let's make friends. Make friends with the Bible. And live its truth, its grace, its hope. Stand with. God, we're gathered here today because we want to be your people. We want the blessing of abundant life now, and especially we want the blessing of eternal life forever with you. And so, Lord, we come before you today seeking you, knowing that when we seek, we can find. We thank you for our faith in you that has come through years of submitting ourselves to you, and finding forgiveness that you have given us in your name. Lord, I pray for those here today that, that maybe haven't even yet come to a place where they would call themselves Christians. I ask you to help them today to see their need for you and to find forgiveness in your name. But then also I pray for all of us that we would move past, if we haven't yet, that we would move past the time of, of our faith journey where we struggle with a foot in two worlds. But that we live holy 
with you and in you a part of your heavenly kingdom where the old world of evil and its temptations no longer control us, but that we find the abundance of life that you give. Thank you, Lord. Walk with us this week. Help us to remember that you are our shepherd. We shall not want. In Jesus' name.